to be church and do mission. Telling a better story. It's a common phrase that we use in the EA world. Um, and as Lee introduced, I am the church and mission coordinator in the Evangelical Alliance, Northern Ireland. I love going around churches, so it is great to be here this evening with you uh, for several reasons. You are a member church, and so I have the list of the member churches in Northern Ireland beside my desk. And I pray for you guys. I cheer you on with Lee and Michael for what you're doing in this patch, for how you're being God's people and speaking and being good news. Uh, Secondly, I have been up at the front several times in my life. Some of you may or may not remember, I was 14. I was Potiphar's wife in the Bible club. Do you remember? (laughs) Thank you. It was one of my champion moments. Uh, I was married here in 2004. My husband and I uh, were working in Bangladesh, had a nightmare of a time with Belfast City Council trying to get marriage permits and everything sorted in the Belfast Council area, and Leslie Hutchinson very uh, graciously pulled a few strings to make it work here. And I've been here doing training on Muslim culture and um, witness and evangelism to Muslims. My husband and I worked for several years in Bangladesh, and in between that we did a master's in theology and missiology. And the core of our work in Bangladesh and our study was asking the question, what is the good news of Jesus? How do we communicate it to these people at this time? And that's exactly what I do in EA for the church in Northern Ireland. Culture and context matter as we do church and mission. As we tell the better story of the good news of Jesus, we have to constantly be reading and dissecting, exegeting, if you like, three concentric circles. What's going on in culture? What is the gospel? What's going on in church and in us? We are the storytellers of this better story. We've got to understand the story in its fullness. We've got to understand how we tell it in a way that's going to listen, make people listen and make it be understood. What is culture? Culture is storytelling. And actually, if you do a Google for culture and storytelling, you get loads. This is the language. This is the framework and the imagery being used in the business world, in technology. Culture is the way we do things around here and how we tell a story that sells ourselves and how we do things and what we do. The mother fish said to the two little fishlings, enjoy the water today. They swam on. One of them asked the other, What's water? We live in culture. We know it's feel. And yet we often don't sit at the dinner table and say, how did you experience culture today? We just do it. We inhabit it. It inhabits us. And often we only become alert to culture when we're considering cross-culture, the Muslim culture, the Eastern culture. Culture is a story Uh, There's a great book, Dan Strange, plugged in. He uses this phrase, um, culture is storytelling. It's stories that express meaning about the world. Culture is storytelling to make sense of what's going on around us. We are creatures 
making sense of life in creation. Culture creates stories to keep life going on and making sense and functioning. Culture is built by two forces joined together that reinforce each other. How we behave, that's seen, that's what you can observe. Clothing, jobs, family, relationships, money, gender relations, time. And what people believe, what people believe to be good, true, right, best and valuable. And if we went to sit outside the city hall and you observed what you see, and then if I took you to the capital of Bangladesh, Dhaka, and you observed what you saw there, you would see two very different cultures because at the core of those cultures, people believe different things. If culture is a story that creatures trying to make sense of their creation tell each other, Culture changes. Culture changes as there are different developments in the world. Now, I love watching good old historical drama, and I particularly love the ones set in the 1950s or 60s, like Call the Midwife or Endeavour, you know, Morse, when he was kind of starting off in his career. Uh, Because I remember my grandparents having houses and Christmas decorations and things like that. Financial, technological crises and events in the world all have massive impacts on our culture. Cultures change. There are new options available to us with technology, with the internet, with the smartphone. And the internet has massively changed how we think and behave. I wonder if you were to think about Call the Midwife and these topics, and you think about your life today, Think how culture has changed in the last 40 or 50 years. How houses and homes are used, how kitchens are designed and why. Family, the role of women. We have washing machines and food processors and actually Mary Berry was in this phase of life, the era, and she was in this stage where there were new different forms of technology in the kitchen that was releasing women to go to work. Money and possessions. My grandparents were of the age where you saved every single bread bag and you reused it. If something was broken, you didn't throw it away. You kept it and you you fixed it. Leisure and travel, air travel, being exposed to different parts of the world, faith and society, race, dress, living in your local community and how you related to people. Those have all massively changed due to some of these influences in the world. Immigration, politics, World War II was massive in our cultural change. NHS and the welfare state, technology and the civil rights at the same time in USA. Culture changes. It is changing now rapidly in Northern Ireland. And it will change again. This is just a reality, a fact that we have to live with but engage with if we're going to do church and mission well. Charles Taylor says in 1500s, it was impossible for man not to believe in God. In 2020, it's unthinkable and irrational to believe in a God. What impact does this change have on how we're making Jesus known? The EA always ask questions of culture as we do church and mission. 
We want to help the church in Northern Ireland see that, yes, culture is changing, and that brings great challenges, but it also brings great opportunities. Like water, like the sea, we can understand culture and our cultural stories at various levels, waves, currents, and depths. At the surface, you see the breakers, the white waves as they crash in, You see the symptoms, the things at the edge, like abortion, gender, sexuality, mental health issues, real focus on human rights. Below that, you see the currents. We can see that when you stand up, you know, when you're walking down to Port Stewart Strand, when you stand at the top of the steps, you can see where the currents are moving. The rise in individualism, hyper-individualism. I define myself. Nationalism and tribalism secularism, consumerism through technology. Underneath that is what we can't see, but the surfer has learnt to read the depths at the very bottom so that he knows when it's going to be a good wave to surf. We can see as we read and think there's going to be massive issues for the church and culture around artificial intelligence, transhumanism, and also issue, these are going to affect disability, end of life. Massive issues coming down the line there. And incidentally, within scripture, waves, breakers, and waters are a symbol of satanic attack on God's rule over creation through his people. But we're promised again and again, when we pass through the waters, God is with us and he will not let the waters and breakers overwhelm us. Isaiah 43 And interestingly, and I'll refer to this, in the new heaven and earth, there is no sea or ocean. And so in the Evangelical Alliance, we want to call out to the church and cheer you guys on and say, it's okay. This culture is changing, but he is with us. And the waters will not overwhelm you. But you've got to learn to swim. Church and culture How do we inhabit cultural waters? Well, Lee has already referred to this. I've got some C's around it because I'm a good Baptist person. I like my my letter to be the same. How do we respond? We can condemn, flee, like Lee referred to, the ghetto. Everything is wrong. It's worldly and we just judge it all. Or we can copy. We can read only Christian novels, watch Christian music, spend our time with Christians, build big church buildings that have leisure facilities in them so we don't need to go down the road to the other leisure facility, coffee shops. We can do that in Northern Ireland because actually there's enough Christians around. Consume. Now we all consume culture. We hear about consumerism a lot, but what is it if you can imagine my nine-year-old daughter with the stockpile of selection boxes we have in our house, or my husband at the Indian restaurant going, (sighs) without thinking, what's in this stuff? Am I even full or am I hungry? How's it affecting me? It's good for me. What is it even made of? Consuming without thought. Christians have to learn to inhabit the culture, but to critique culture, to be in the world without being of the world, to be transformed while in the world and not be conformed to the world. 
Asking questions is key. Having a filter as you engage at every interface with culture. What are the stories that this is telling me? Is that story true? Is it good? We've got to be able to critique our story. My daughter, uh, we, we don't have a TV in our house. We have a smart TV. When she goes to my mum's, she gets to see all the TV ads. And she's, you know, she really does believe that this shampoo could possibly change my life because I deserve it. Um, you know, and when I, you know, we're teaching her, teaching ourselves to filter uh, a, a lady in my church has teenage kids and she asking her about internet and Facebook. She says she gets them to ask questions and she has access to their, their Facebook pages. Elliot, you liked that photo. What was good about that photo? Why did you like it? Oh, you don't really think, Mum, you just click like to show that they're your friend. No, what was good in that photo that you liked? If you can't tell me two good things about it, then I'm going to make you unclick. Asking questions. Got to be able to critique. Why are we doing things? We've got to be able to know what our true and better story is because we, the church, in the middle of culture, which is telling all kinds of stories to make sense of creation, we have a story. And unlike what the culture tells us, it's a public story. This is a story for public consumption, for the public good, for the betterment of the public world. It is a story for the whole world. It's not just something that we come in here and keep cozy with on a cold night. This is a story that has ultimate meaning about world, life, humanity, identity, relationships, and purpose. It is the biggest story because it began right at the beginning and it will end right at the end. It is an ancient story. We gather to his ancient throne and we celebrate this story and being part of this story. And I have seen this story being believed and lived out all across the world in slums in Dhaka, in places in Indonesia that I didn't even know existed, Malaysian highlands and mountains, people are believing this gospel. In North Korea this evening, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We tonight on the Belmont Road have the better story. Does that give you confidence? It should Two questions tonight as we think about church and mission. Are we telling the full story? And how are we telling the better story? Question of content and a question of communication. First, the content. What is the gospel? We've thought about culture. Let's think about gospel. What is the gospel? Essentially, the word gospel, euangelion, means an announcement for public. It was an everyday word used in that context for the announcement of a new baby, a new job, a new building being built, a new emperor. And Mark uses this word, the good news, as an announcement. So the gospel essentially is news. It's an announcement. It's an announcement about a person. 
It's an announcement that didn't come out of the blue, but it was an awaited announcement. God's people had been waiting for this announcement from the beginning of time. The person that was promised, the king had come. And this is his story, Mark tells us, chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus Christ, and it's a good story. However, when we think about the gospel, if I was to get you to stop and summarize the gospel in one sentence, and I've done this, we just don't have time tonight, often we reduce that biblical narrative, the fullness of the story, by focusing on half the story. Half the story begins at the fall, begins with the bad news. You have a problem, sin. I have the solution, Jesus Boom. We are all sinners. Christ came to die and rise again so that we can have our sins forgiven, be saved, leave this sorry earth, and go to heaven. Now, there's some problems with this half story. The problem now is convincing people that they have a problem. (laughs) In this world, sin, Either we just keep saying the same thing louder and over and over again and are perceived as being judgmental and fundamentalist, or, as Lee said, we'll strip it back, we'll fold, we'll make the story into, well, God loves you, he's got the best for you and accepts you as you are, it's much too thin and shallow, and it's not the gospel, (laughs) The half story is individualistic. It focuses on life after death. And it does not answer today's questions about life here and now. The gospel has been reduced to saving a soul for heaven, getting your ticket to heaven, twiddling your thumbs until you get there, hanging out with Christians and telling people or feeling guilty because you don't tell people about their problem. Why do we tell the half story? Lots of reasons as culture changed and traveling evangelists started traveling around. They needed a small gospel to be able to present within a 30-minute or an hour's speech. Also, Tom Wright's one of my favorite thinkers on this. He says, for too long we have read scripture with 16th century eyes, which deals with questions about the afterlife and sin and guilt. And 19th century questions... Tom Wright says it's time the church got back to reading and loving scripture with first century eyes and 21st century questions. And we are standing amidst creatures who are asking questions, telling stories that are trying to make sense of creation without a creator. It's like trying to build the most comprehensive IKEA Pax wardrobe system with all the drawers and the lights and everything else in it without any instructions, without seeing the end product of what you're trying to build and just making it up as you go along. We have the instructions. We know the end product. And we can tell a better story that answers these questions. What are some of the 21st century questions being asked at the heart of our culture? You think of those waves and currents and depths of the oceans. These are some of the questions that reverberate at these three levels. Humanity. What does it mean to be human? 
to be male or female, to be married or single, to be technologically assisted. Anybody watch Reggie Yates in China? Human rights. And actually, it's interesting, the UN Convention on Human Rights doesn't define what it means to be human. Actually, the question being asked today is not what it means to be human, but what does one have to be like to be human? Siri, Alexa, if you've seen some of their advertisements, shocking. They are framing Alexa and Siri as a replacement for a widow. If you've seen that ad, a widow in a house, get Siri, get Alexa as your friend. What does it mean to be human? Identity. Who am I? Teens are saying, I've posted so many images on social media, I can't actually remember who I really am. What defines me? Well, the world is telling me that I can define myself without any boundaries. It can be different today than tomorrow. I don't know what that is today. Relationships. I'm so globally, digitally connected on my phone, I can be seeing trainers in one scroll, Kim Kardashian's backside in the next picture, and having a Bible verse in the next picture. We're so digitally connected and connected to different spheres of thought and influence that we don't know how to connect meaningfully in the real world with the people beside us, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. We don't know what to do to make sense of this information which comes at us at this rapid rate like never before in history. What's my purpose? What is life all about? How does my work connect to my faith, connect to this world, connect to the end of time? Why am I here in this world? How do I know what's coming or what? How do I make sense of everything here? Society is telling all sorts of stories around those questions. And there's a clash of stories being told. Uh, Bobette Buster is a Hollywood screenwriter who says, in our culture, the one who tells the better story is the one who wins. But the full story answers these questions and is the best story around these questions. The full story starts right at the beginning because that's a very good place to start. I'm not going to sing. Without the beginning, we miss out on the foundation of our story, where the world began under a creator, with creatures ruling his creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the first phrase of scripture, the seen, the unseen, the visible, the invisible. They existed together in harmony in Christ. Paul writes this in Colossians, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of our all creation. In him, all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, All things were created by him, for him, and in him. All things now hold together. Note that phrase, all things. Creatures inhabiting a creation that gave them every seed-bearing plant they needed to thrive and flourish under the rule and in the presence of the creator. They were given a command to subdue the earth, to multiply, and to create life and flourishing in this garden. The spiritual realm looked on in wonder. There was order in humanity, 
identity, relationships, and purpose. This is shalom. And God said that it was good. Now, without this beginning, we have no reason to fight for anything better here and now. We have no reason to engage with the issues of this earth. And we neglect the everydayness of life, work, family, leisure. We neglect the justice and righteousness issues that we should be speaking on because we know what was once at the very beginning good and just and right. Full, but heaven and earth, the shalom, the wholeness, was wrenched apart when the creatures engaged in creation in a way outside the creator's instruction. The fall shattered everything. We no longer live in that Genesis 1 paradigm. We live in the Genesis 3 paradigm. There are thorns in the garden now. Death has entered this world through one man. Not just a spiritual death of humans, but the death of the cosmos. Our whole creation groans. And we groan in it. We groan because of it. We are sin-struck in our personal experience of being human, in all aspects of being human. And we live within a sin-struck cosmos and order. There is redemption in Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ and his incarnation, his life, teachings, relationships, his death, resurrection and ascension was the game changer of the whole story. It brought reconciliation, not just for my spiritual aspect of humanity, but for the whole cosmos, for that all things. Colossians 1 goes on to say, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the power of his cross. I hope you sang Joy to the World this Christmas. It's one of my favorite Christmas carols because it gets the fullness of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Joy to the world, definitely not singing here. The Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let heaven and nature sing. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Where? For our spiritual souls? As far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace. And he makes the nations of today prove and see how good his righteousness and love is. Redemption, reconciliation through the blood of Jesus Christ is the powerful turning point in all of history. Creatures brought back into that ordered relationship between creator, creature, and creation. It is so much broader than trying to sell people a spiritual ticket to heaven when they die. Consummation. There is very little inference in the Bible that we will escape this dreary planet, fly off in white robes and a harp. When Jesus comes again... He will bring the new heaven and the new earth together in its fullness. We'll be fully reunited 
And we will be with the Lord. Bliss, paradise, Eden restored. There will be no more death, mourning, sickness, pain. He will wipe every tear from our eye. And there will be no more sea. The garden of Genesis has become a city. Jesus enthroned. Our everyday earthiness matters to God in this full story. Work matters. Family matters. How we spend our time being creative and enjoying this earth matters. We are a people of eschatology, a people of the resurrection. We know where we are going. While we are sitting here tonight, the reigning Christ gathers us around his ancient throne and commands us to look. He is making that all things new even now through his church. For too long, our gospel story has focused on only on what we are saved from, eternal condemnation and personal sin, and what it has forgotten what we are saved to, a restored humanity, identity, purpose, and relationship in Christ Jesus. And we are saved to do that in a church. Salvation is a corporate thing. We have forgotten the story that tells us what we are saved for. We stand at the intersection of heaven and earth, here on earth. We point to King Jesus, the creator and saviour. Tim Keller outlines the fullness of the gospel. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God has fully accomplished salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin, bringing us into fellowship with him, restoring creation in which we can enjoy new life together and with him now and forever. Much bigger than our half story. When we tell the better story in its fullness, when we enter into it and work with it in a whole way, we will regain our cultural influence our story will start to prove itself and be the better, more beautiful story amidst the crazy cultural stories going on out there. Gabe Lyons has a great book on cultural engagement and he says, when Christians dismiss the cultural mandate as an insignificant part of the Christian life, separatism and piety increase and cultural influence fades. If Christians can learn to embrace the full story of the gospel and partner with God in restoring and redeeming his creation, their cultural influence will follow and the good news will spread. Salvation story, in its fullness, answers those questions of humanity, identity, relationship and purpose. Part of what we do when we critique culture is to point out the incoherence and the chaos of the stories that are being told around there. The story around abortion clashes with the story being told around equality for disability and welfare rights. The story around transgender clashes with the story of feminism. The story around capitalism clashes with the story around global human rights. The story around secularism clashes with the story being told around freedom of speech. We need to tell the fuller, better story about a good and powerful reigning creator who can re-bring order. 
So that's our content. Let's get on to communication. How are we telling the story? Of course, with words. It is a message. It is an announcement. We have to announce. That means using words. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. That he reigns, that his rule is good, and we invite people to submit to him and experience that new life in the power of his cross. He revealed himself through written word, and so we use the Bible. And we proclaim this as public truth. Something you can do this week, which we encourage people to do, bring your Bible to a public spot and read it coffee shop, in the park, on the train or the bus. What you read here has massive meaning for out there. Evangelism. There are various structures and contexts for evangelism. And there's a whole other seminar that I do on evangelism with this culture and a new posture. Holding people's questions is more important than giving the bullet answer. Journeying with people towards Jesus as a process, slow burning, gently growing, always inviting, listening to their story and sharing the stories of scripture and real life relationships, helping them to imagine beyond themselves. But I'm not going to focus so much on proclamation because I know Lee does a really good job on that. But if you have been like me, try to share your faith with words in this cultural moment you might have found that something is lost in translation. First of all, trying to talk about sin and convince them that they have a problem. Imagine play a playing field to illustrate this post-truth culture we live in. The playing field has changed. For a while, we were all playing rugby, and we all knew how to play. Whether you sat on the sidelines or engaged fully, you knew what was going on on the pitch. Then the game shifted to football, So we kind of got our heads around that a little, and we started all to play football. But now in this post-truth, post-modern culture we live in, we're looking at the pitch, the game pitch. There's a bit of rugby going on over there, a bit of football going on in there. There's snooker going on over here, and there's two guys at the back playing thumb war, all on the same pitch. And so truth how do we communicate? How do we get onto this game pitch and learn how to play the game if the rules change every corner you go to? In this post-truth era, truth is fluid. For me, that's for you. It's what I want it to be today. I could change tomorrow. You can have your truth, but that's what it is. It's your truth. You own it, love it, great. Keep it private because it just might offend me. It's like trying to grasp water. Telling the good news story in its fullness today has got to be embodied and proclaimed. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not doing the Francis of Assisi uh, thing where, yes, uh, demonstrate Jesus, and if you need to, use words. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what will click with the ears of our culture? What will prick their ears and their, their hearts to engage with this good news story? Tends initially to be seeing something beautiful. An integral witness. Words and lifestyle that match. 
Our lives tell the story that we believe. Today, the presence of Christians in a Christian community is a witness to the surrounding community, neighbors, work colleagues, family. Our lifestyle tells a story before we even start to speak. And sometimes when we start to speak, if it doesn't match up with the story that they see, they don't care what the words say. Matthew Paris is a really interesting guy. He's an atheist, homosexual journalist and political commentator, often writes in some of the newspapers I read. And he reflects on the people and the, the work and the impact that missionaries um, and the church in South Africa have had, especially around the issue of apartheid. He says, I wish I could detach their belief, their Christian faith from what they've done. But I can't. They've gone hand in hand. And Africa needs more missionaries. Matthew Paris can see the intricately woven connection between a Christian community's faith and belief and lifestyle and action. Barna Research is an independent organization that collects data globally, but specifically in the UK and USA, around trends and patterns in culture and church. And they have been um, helping Alpha, you run Alpha course here, design their course to find a way that does mission really effectively in this culture. The question, it says, that initiates men and women to walk towards Jesus has moved from, is the Christian faith true, to is the Christian faith real? Does it work? Is it beautiful? Show me. And Barna says where the Christian faith is growing in the UK is where there's a countercultural presence of God's people living faithfully to Scripture, immersed in the culture and community, and speaking Jesus to explain why they live in such a radical way. And this goes right back to where Lee was reading from First Peter today. Newbegin asked this question over 30 years ago as he re-entered pluralist society in America. He looked at the changed culture uh, in America and said, how is it possible that the gospel is going to be believed? That people should believe that the power that has the last word over every human aspect is represented by a man hanging on a cross? Paul asked this question stumbling block, foolishness to the people he was working with. Jesus Christ hanging on a cross is just weird and archaic to our culture. How is our culture going to believe this better story? Newbigin says, by a believing community, by men and women, by families, by small groups, by a church corporate body, that not only believes the good news, but lives by it. The world will see, understand, and believe the good news of Jesus Christ because the church is the storyteller of the gospel, the means by which the good news story is told. We are to be a provocative people. That means that we live in such a way that provokes questions. It will provoke insult. It will provoke criticism. But it will also provoke questions. The way we live our life should be distinctively different. 
and it should cause people to ask us questions that make us answer and give a reason for the hope that we have. Living differently in our marriage, family, parenting, friendships, forgiveness, sexuality, how we handle money, possessions, media, relational conflict, time, how we approach our work, holidays, how we engage with our neighbours, care for the environment, how we engage with the disabled, the poverty-stricken, the issues of politics and welfare that are rife in our society, how we interact with the governing authorities. Stormont's just got back up and running. How have we responded to that? All themes of Peter's epistles, as he asks, given the Lord's return, what kind of people ought we to be? The early church grasped this. They saw themselves as this new form of humanity in Christ. Rodney Stark is a socio-historian. He looks at the first century Christians and he says, it wasn't just their proclamation that, that led to the significant growth of the church in the first century. It was because they entered into their society as a third way. They infiltrated every sector of society and they brought the good news story in their lifestyle. They were the ones who looked after lepers, orphans, widows. They're the ones who fed the hungry, clothed the poor. Because of this new identity that they had as God's people, living at the intersection of heaven and earth in a radical way. So we have exegeted the question of culture, the question of gospel and the good news and its fullness and how we're communicating that. Exegeting ourselves is perhaps one of the most difficult triads to get into. We need an integrity checkup. What stories do I and my husband tell in our home, through our home, through our lifestyle? What stories are you telling each other in here and celebrating in here? Are they any different at the heart to the stories being told out there? Does anybody watch The Apprentice? One of my favorite bits is at the end when the chosen few have to defend their business plan and they bring it to these specialists who have never seen it before, not heard anything about it, and they pour over the documents and they come up with some gaps in the business plan which are actually so obvious. And viewers sit and think, how could you have forgotten to put the finance in? How could you not see that that's actually what this company is doing over here? It seems so obvious, but this individual has been so entrenched in their business plan, their future, them winning this competition, that they have missed the obvious. They think they're doing something that they're not. I read a really interesting article uh, around social media, around how we present ourselves, and which has led to us having... Uh, the, the author called it a fictive narrative around our lives, not just in the Christian world. We genuinely believe we're doing something and are, we are, are perceived to be something, which is really quite distant to reality. Novak is a Catholic philosopher, and he says we have three levels of belief and value. We tell three different stories. Public 
is the story that we tell people we believe, private, the story we think we believe, and core, the story we actually believe, even if we don't realize. And Novak says the core values always win out. If I want to ask you what you believe, I won't ask you with words. I'll look at your life. I'll look at your text messages. I'll look at your internet usage. I'll look and see how you behave every day. This is interesting. And if you want to do an integrity checkup, I suggest you start with time and money. How are the stories that you are telling when you think about how you use your time? When you think about how you spend your money, your possessions, your home, what's important to you? We've sung with words tonight, but Jesus Christ is all we need. Is that really told by how you live your life? The average adult spends 705 hours a year on social media. Two and a half thousand hours per year watching TV. And yet we tell ourselves we don't have time to get to spend with God, praying, learning, or meeting people to share Jesus with them. Money is number three topic taught on by Jesus in the Gospels. In the office last year, the head of the Consumer Council came to talk to Peter, uh, Peter Linus. The figures for the expenditure on clothes, shoes, makeup, homes and redecor, holidays, were significantly higher in Northern Ireland than the rest of the UK. Why? Because this is places, these are places where it's okay for Christians to spend their money. We have a higher Christian density here. Things like alcohol or or other spaces that we might judge and think of as worldly is, is where it was in other places. When my husband and I came back from Bangladesh in 2010, We were shocked at how Christians did Christmas here. It felt like for 48 weeks in the year, we tell our kids, Jesus is what satisfies, not stuff. But then the months surrounding Christmas, where it's either Jesus or Santa, it was, well, stuff's pretty good. Here's the problem with the stories that we tell and affirm to each other. And here, we are just the same as Israel. We sell out a little bit here, a little bit here, and we don't even notice that we're doing it. We start to take culture stories, put them in a Christian framework, and buy into them. Israel failed to be a light to the nation, to be salt to the earth. What did Jesus say happened when salt lost its flavor? got thrown out. We are being encultured by our culture. We don't just consume culture. Culture consumes us. It is chewing us up and spitting us out and it's preventing us from telling this beautiful, better story in its fullness. Idolatry exists within here and in the church as we believe those cultural stories Idolatries, it's not a a firm objective decision to enter into a behavior. It's a learned disposition to really hope at the core of your being and what's going to disappoint you. 
hoping in stories about what it means to be human, identity, purpose, relationships that do not center in and do not return us to the creator. And formation within a church, discipleship is key to that missional edge because it affects the constant telling of these stories that we hear again and again from, from the world. Being a countercultural person, family, friendship group, church, putting words around why you're countercultural is a missional tool in post-truth culture. You tell the story in word, deed, and lifestyle. Do you believe that this full good news story is good for you? Do you really believe that? Are you celebrating Jesus as the game changer in your life, in your marriage, for your children, for the Belmont Road, for Belmont Primary School? Not as something which you should do, but as something which is good to do and worth worshipping and will not disappoint only when you truly believe that and re-believe it and re-believe it will you live by it and tell that full story with power, authenticity in this cultural moment three triads of exegesis what stories is our culture telling us what is the full gospel what stories do we celebrate in here so I want to pray for you God's people at Strandtown Baptist as you stand together in our changing contested culture as you are hit by the waves and observe the currents and the depths, 